Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we're talking to Nissan Geisel. Nissan is leading the experience design practice at EY Israel and focuses in design-led innovation. He's an experienced strategic design practitioner, an innovation enthusiast, and a design lecturer with more than 10 years of experience applying design thinking methodology, working with corporate government organizations, NGOs, and startups. Hi, Nissan. It's so good to have you here with us today. How are you doing? Hello, Maria. Thank you for having me. So, Nissan, let's begin with, with the basics, okay? Let's talk about the concept of design. It just seems to me that it has evolved over the years and it started to be used in so many other areas like business, strategy, and so on. So my first question to you is, how do you define design? Well, I think that design is something that has been with us since the dawn of humankind. I think that this is something that has been really part of what we did from the very beginning to try and reshape tools and environments and make them more habitable, help us to survive and, and thrive in our environment. And I think that with time, design really lost its initial origin in a way. So, for example, one of the most, the one that I really like that describes design is something that Victor Papanek, which was really a cornerstone in, in modern design, he used to say that design was a conscious effort to uh, impose meaningful order around us. So basically, wherever I look and I see something that I don't like, I would like to reshape it, give it a new function, make it maybe work better, that would be design. And in that sense, this is something that has been with us since really the very beginning. And with time, we're, we, we lost a bit track with it because design became, with the, especially the last uh, 100, 150 years, it got a bit smaller in the sense that it got focused around aesthetics, especially in modern days, It has been uh, coupled with the, the notion of capitalism and how you can sell more. So you use design to accelerate sales and, and enhance how people interact with products. And I think in that sense, design became a bit smaller because it stopped providing solutions for social problems. It stopped shaping how we act as culture beings and, and became very utility became around a lot of around tools and, and products and so on. So I think it became a bit smaller, but I think that within the last few years, design got that room back again. So we are really experiencing these days going back to having a big design. So design suddenly has gone back to its roots and is used as a practice to solve big challenges and big problems and really shape how we interact with uh, with each other and the environment that we're living in. So I think that design is really something that is a daily practice used by almost everybody. I mean, when we talk about design thinking, we talk about the fact that everybody designs. 
This is exactly what we say. Everybody designs. The moment you wake up in the morning and you see something you don't like and you want to reshape it and change it, you actually design. You know, that's so interesting what you said because in my mind, design started as, as something a more, uh, let's say, visual. And the evolution was what we have today. And what you just told me is, is kind of the opposite, is that it got lost some, some point in time, and now we are going back to the roots, which is what it was supposed to be. So can we go a little through this evolution of design? So again, as, as I mentioned, so in the beginning, really, it was all about tooling, right? So you had to go out and capture animals, create your shelter, make uh, your life more comfortable. You had to survive and thrive. So again, you have to really find your way in the world. And, and design used to be a fundamental way to do so. And nobody really gave it this title, right? Design. Nobody really thought about it. It was just a practice that you, you used to do just to go through your day in the world. And I think that Going fast forward, I mean, this is really something that has really became a big issue because if you think about big innovators, so Thomas Edison, right? This is like a poster boy for a person that came up with novel ideas of, of how to interact and come up with really amazing products. So he was a big designer, but nobody really thinks of him as a designer. He had a huge workshop with hundreds of people working together in co-creation, right, in, in design, in classical design processes. It actually brought about lots of good innovation. And I think that somehow, suddenly somebody, and again, I think that that's like a very modern phenomenon, where somebody captured a part of design, the aesthetic essence of design, and really tried to capitalize on that. And I mean, in that sense, I think that it really did a lot of bad thing to this world. So for example, today when I talk about design, people immediately describe or think about the aesthetical element, right? So that would be something that is nice to look at or not, but nobody really understands design to be something that I feel well about, right? I feel that this is something that is a natural extension of myself. This is something that would be easier for me to work with that will solve a big a big issue that i'm confronting and, and i think that that sense modern history you know it, selling more cars so the car is still working right it's still good so why should i bother and buy a new car it's because there's a new design right and that became really one of the biggest engines in the mid 20th century of, of really pushing new products and, and the economy forward but it also gave sort of a a reframe, and I mean in a negative way, to the practice. And, and, and I think that today when we think about the world which becomes more humane in that sense, in that sense I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, but we understand today that you cannot really disregard the human aspect. In everything you have to uh, also consider how people will react. That's again, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see that capitalism was this engine that really took down a lot of the, a lot of the positive elements in design, but Now capitalism actually goes the other way around because, because of the power of consumerism, people's feedback and reaction to products and services and innovation and so on. So suddenly this has to come back again to be part of the consideration. 
And I think in that sense, we're coming back to this place where we used to be in the past, where, where design is this place where the need and the desire and the way we perceive what is good for us, also on the aesthetical level, but, but also on the meaning of it, also in the way we use that, becomes back again a more holistic practice and one that there is a lot of room for it also in, in new contexts where we use design today, which, like you mentioned, strategy and business and, and, and so on. Yeah, when I was researching about it, there was a phrase that I really liked, which is design is about a projected desire that becomes an action to find a human-centered solution. So it's like way bigger meaning, right? So we had a guest in our you know, Future Hacker Brazilian channel for the podcast. Uh, she talked about uh, biomimicry and using nature as a source of inspiration to solve design problems. Do you, do you see that happening? Do you see this as a trend? I see. I, I think that biomimicry is sort of uh, the end result as we see it today. But I think that biomimicry is something that we use today because we understand better the world that we're living in. So the systems around us are very complex. And in order for us to be really part of this world, we really need to understand the systems around us. And the better we understand the world and the systems around us, the better we can create something that's really positive and, and a part of everything. So, so I think that biomimicry is, is a way for us to really reintroduce old concepts, reintroduce human people back into the environment. And I think that this curiosity about the systems around us and the way the planet really works and the way nature really works It's just another way of us looking for a better understanding of the world around us and the reality around us. And in that sense, I think that this trend will become stronger. And I think that the better we understand, we can create solutions that are more efficient. People feel better regarding those solutions and so on and so forth. Because again, people are part of the systems, right? We are, we're living in a complex system and without really understanding that, we will not be able to really design better. Again, if looking back at modernism, for example. So modernist movement tried to understand the complicated systems around us, looking for formulas, right? Looking for models that they could understand and work around. And in that sense, they, they really, the modernist movement really took apart the complications in the system and try to create within the systems in a very simplistic manner. And that's not really working when you try to introduce a new concept in a complicated system. And I think in that sense, biomimicry is really, really, really an interesting direction where we try to, again, capture the complexity and design with it. And by doing so, also creating solutions that are better equipped for people, better resolution to the, the challenges and the problems. And I think that in, internally, as human beings, we understand that. I mean, when we see a, a solution that is really coherent with the, with the systems that we live in, it really resonates and, and really makes us feel more comfortable. And by the way, it also feels more aesthetic in, in that sense. So I think that Biomimicry is, is a part of a really bigger trend of reintroducing people 
to the earth. I love that. How do you see new technologies changing the way we interact and create with design? When I was researching the topic, I read this article written by Rob Gerling, which he discusses how artificial intelligence is changing this profession like most of our future jobs, right? So he talks about how everyone will be a designer by having access to tools and knowledge and designers being curators, curators instead of creators, and how new technologies will be able to amplify the designer's capability to a level we wouldn't be able to create ourselves. So uh, what's your thought on that? Well, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm a humanist by nature, so it's really a hard concept for me to say that we will be curators and we'll step back and let the machine do the design for us. Because I feel that maybe a bit down the road, when we'll have uh, certain capabilities, maybe it will become a better tool for us to create and make decisions. But still, I think that keeping a human being in the loop is a fundamental rule that we need to, to keep on uh, doing so and, and not delegating decisions to an algorithm that still there are a lot of questions regarding that. I think that maybe if go back a bit in the time frames, I mean, what we just described is a bit further down the road, but I think that even today we already see the differences and, and the evolution of, of the practice itself. So for example, design, which is considered by, by people as, as a soft practice, right? Because we are looking at Again, complex systems, and that also includes the cultural and the social elements and resolving all kinds of challenges and so on. But we're, we're doing that from a very soft toolbox. So we're trying to use aesthetics and functionality and, and somehow mesh that into a successful solution. But, and, and I think that even today, you already see the shift into using data, for example. So data-driven design already introduces a new phenomenon where the design is no longer only soft, but rather it's a combination of the softer elements in our culture, but also with a with certain degree of data that supports that. So we already ha have here this very interesting mesh between, between hard data and soft exploration of what design could be. And this is something that we already experiencing in these days. And, and I think that that's also part of how design is finding its new place in, in the world because it stops being this soft skill by very unique unicorn people and becomes something that is really a, a more mundane and data-driven sort of practice. And, and then I also think that, again, in a, in a very immediate time frame, I think that also we have new tools for, for simulation and creation and experimenting, right? Because in the past, when a designer used to try and create something, he had to go and craft that. He had to uh, somehow make that design a reality. And only by doing so, he had the opportunity to take design decisions. And I think that today, you can take design decisions without doing the, the actual design, just going through the simulation and trying to capture the future shape, the future functionality, even by going through the actual process. So you are in constant dialogue within the process of creation. You're in the dialogue with your end product. So I think that in that sense, this is 
already a fundamental change in how we do design. Going a bit further back into the future, I think that if, again, as a humanist, and, and I know that I am part of a certain way of thinking, and I'm sure that there are people that think differently, and that's fine, but I think that at the end of the day, we are human beings. And I think that this is something that needs to be captured and it needs to be gated and, and saved and be, be part of every decision that we take. So taking people out of the loop, taking human beings out of the loop, I think would be uh, one step too much towards a wrong direction. I think that at the end, what you're saying is, is you're keeping the soul of the creation Right, but on the same time, you see the use of technology more as an ally, as a tool, as any other tool that we currently have, but tools that are being developed so you, you, you can make decisions and investigate and explore faster, like by prototyping and using simulations or whatever it is through the technology. But it's not that as if one would be replacing the other but more of a combination. And it's the first time that I hear the term, it's uh, the data-driven design. So we are finding the data usage everywhere, also in the, the design side as well, which is super interesting, right? I think that this is really all about that. I mean, it's not about being over the human part, it's really enhancing the human part. It's for me to better understand the people around me. And in design, in human-centered design, we talk about it all the time. How can I really design something that for somebody else, which is not me, this is, would be a classical design challenge, right? And something that a lot of designers still are fighting with this concept because a lot of designers just tend to design for themselves and come up with solutions that they find successful. And I think that really design again as a practice that has a social responsibility needs to be somewhere else according to my according to me i mean this would be a way for us to be really much better in understanding others in understanding maybe other cultures other people other genders other mindsets right and i think i mean in that sense technology should be a tool that really enhances that ability and takes that to the next level and making that a much more efficient way to, to create a good design. I mean, we go all the way now, we're moving from, for example, from medications that are around the male gender and in a very, a very generic way of thinking about medication, for example, in a more sophisticated, subjective medication. So every person will have medications that are tailored to himself. And this is, this is possible solely on the base of data. It is, it's possible solely on the base of technology that really enhances the ability of medication to provide a resolution to all kinds of diseases and issues. And I think design in that sense is also experimenting with, with this potential. And I mean, once that match will be made better, even better than what it is today, and of course, what we think would happen in the, in the years to come, I mean, designers will really have an effective way to create a meaningful change in society also on a larger scale and touching lots of different people in a positive way and not forcing them to work with what they have. That's the perfect way to end our first episode. Just keep listening, everybody. We're heading to a second episode with Nissan. Mm -hmm.
Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.